travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Few modes of transport are as exotic, effective, fun, and well-known as the Asian tuk-tuk. They go by other names, such as the auto rickshaw in India or Ramok in Cambodia, but they all have the same purpose, to move people quickly and cheaply with a wee bit of style thrown in. Today we'll talk about the role tuk-tuks play in local life, travelers' journeys, and as a holiday experience in themselves, which our guest Julian Carnell has experience doing. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and joining me from Phnom Penh, Cambodia, is Trevor Ranges. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great, Scott. Uh, you know, I got my window cracked a little bit to let a breeze in, so you may just actually hear a tuk-tuk drive by while we're recording, since a couple of my neighbors own tuk-tuks and are tuk-tuk drivers. Yeah, I have seen tuk-tuks outside your place and the pesky kids that go along with that neighborhood. Nah, the kids are great. They like to play in the tuk-tuks too. Tuk-tuks, everybody loves tuk-tuks. You got to you gotta know. It is quite something that we're well past 100 episodes and this is the first time we've actually talked about tuk-tuks because originally in my mind we're a Thai thing, but then as I've traveled the region more and more, they're in a lot of countries, right? And Holy heck, it's taken us more than 100 episodes to focus on tuk-tuk. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, you know, because again, both of us having lived in Thailand for so long, the Thai tuk-tuk or the one that we see in Bangkok all the time are very iconic. And that's something that, that a lot of people do associate with the tuk-tuks. But for me, I remember years ago, like there's a lot of different types of tuk-tuks just within Thailand. And uh, we could almost do like a show just on that. Uh, you were recently in Krabi and down in Krabi, they have like the little sidecar tuk-tuk. Yeah. Yeah. It's built like a whole metal frame that kind of attaches to a regular little motorcycle, but you could easily take three people and you will see like six or eight people rammed into them until like a 125 CC bike. Um, I do remember once you and I, I had the chance to drive a tuk-tuk from Tatian in Bangkok to Pratit. Probably had a little more alcohol than you should to be driving one, <laughs> but the driver the, was the, in the worse driver, shape yeah. than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, they're pretty cool, and they play a heck of a role in, in local life for millions of people through Asia, right? They're, they're basically bef taxis before there's proper, you know, car-type taxis or moving vans and something. So it's, it's a pretty easy inexpensive way for a somebody to to get into the transport business and a pretty affordable way for people to get around yeah well it's interesting just because like one of the great things about asia is just the variety of different transportation options you have you know so like you can always just hire a guy with a motorbike and jump on the back of a motorbike and, and get a ride from him um, and then that guy, once he saves up enough money, he might buy a tuk-tuk and become a tuk-tuk driver. And then once he has enough money, uh, he might buy a car and become a car driver. But again, like aside from tuk-tuks, there's like Song Tao in Thailand, which is like a, it's a truck with seats in the back. And in Indonesia, they have BMOs. 
Um, and in parts of Bangkok, they have kind of like BMOs where it's like a minivan that's open air. And so it's like a tuk-tuk, Kinda, yeah. but it's a minivan tuk-tuk. Yeah. So there's lots of different styles of public transportation. And then the, the tuk-tuk is kind of like the private one. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a taxi or a moving van because lots of times you'll see them stuffed, not just with people, but with, with chickens or people throw their motorbikes in there, bicycles in there. It's just like an all purpose personal vehicle for for getting you and all of your stuff somewhere specific that you want to get to. Yeah, absolutely. All kinds, all shapes, all sizes. And a historical note, we even did a little bit of research for this. Uh, we had to look through Wikipedia and stuff, and there's some links on the show notes. But apparently, tuk-tuks kind of got their start in 1930s Japan, which was the most industrialized country in East Asia at the time. And they were trying to develop small, inexpensive vehicles. And there was actually something called the Mazda Go, and it was a three-wheel open kind of truck thing. And then it seems that the Japanese um, donated 20,000 of these used three-wheelers to parts of Southeast Asia in efforts to explain their influence in the region. So mm. that's a bit of kind of the root of how they, they spread, it seems, throughout Southeast Asia. And now they're in well more than 20 countries on four continents, it seems. Again, check out our show notes. We have links to them. So Trevor, how, what do you think tuk-tuks add to travel and the journey? Well, you know, here in Cambodia, they have the traditional kind of tuk-tuk as a remok, which is like a, it's a carriage that's pulled by a motorbike. And the remok is really nice because it's open air and, and they don't go very fast and you can see the countryside. It's a great way to go visit the Angkor temples, for example, because like, as opposed to being inside a car, it's open and you can smell the, the countryside and you can wave to people and shout hello. And it, it's a much more immersive experience, I think, than being inside of an enclosed air-conditioned vehicle. At the same time, it's much safer than, than riding a motorcycle because they are quite slow and uh, you know, you're protected a little bit. So getting around by tuk-tuk, no matter what type of tuk-tuk, no matter what country you're in, it just seems like a more slower pace and a more immersive type of way to, to get around. Yeah, I'm with you, with the exception of being Bangkok. Sometimes the guys here seem to think part of their job is to show off and impress you with how fast they can go and, and stuff, and it's a bit much. But Yeah, and they're a bit harder to see out of, too. They are, but they are a fantastic way to get around. And like you said, generally a bit slower. You can smell the smells. I kind of like that you're often traveling the same way as locals, so you look out of yours at somebody else and theirs and you all kind of smile at each other. And uh, yeah, we got the idea for this episode actually from a former guest, Rick Gazarian, who was on episodes 45 and 101. And on 45, he talked a bit about a documentary he made called Hit the Road India and Hit the Road Cambodia about participating in large minorities tuk-tuk challenges, which we'll get to with Julian. So this is uh, kind of an in from way back when. But before we do that, let's just remind you, if you're listening to this, and you're enjoying it, that Trevor and I cover all the costs out of our own pocket for the love of travel. So we would very much appreciate a bit of financial support. And an easy way you can do that is by going to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and there's various tiers from $1 a month upwards. Some of them will talk about you here. Some will send you a postcard. We'll give you a shout out. So please lend a little financial support to help us keep this going. And let's get to our guest. 
Our guest, Julian Carnell, is co-founder of Large Minority, a UK-based experiential travel company, which, according to their website, provides the best gosh darn adventure holidays in the world. In particular, we'll chat about their tuk-tuk challenges, which see travelers drive these three-wheeled demons while raising money for charity. Julian joins us online from London, England. Thanks for joining us, Julian. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be on. Great. Well, we like to start really easy on this show. So first things first, where are you originally from and how did you first get into tourism? I am originally from Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya. I was born in Nairobi um, and spent a lot of my early years in East Africa, followed by a good stint in South Africa for some schooling. I entered tourism pretty much straight off the back end of my education and, and, and I've been in tourism ever since. I've worked for a big stint in the Middle East. And then since starting Large Minority, um, have been yeah in the industry ever since. What were those first tourism jobs before uh, Large Minority? I had worked first off in the Middle East in uh, for an offshoot of, of Emirates Airline, which was um, a large destination management company. So um, more in the luxury and events side of of inbound tourism um that and that was in that was in dubai so that's quite a change of pace from doing emirates luxury tourism to getting around a country by tuk-tuk where did the idea for large minority come from and was that originally more of a luxury dmc or tour operator or did you go right into doing tuk-tuk adventures so yeah it's an interesting question and something something that we get asked a lot actually was um my co-founder who who uh a, a good friend of mine, university friend of mine, um, who came up with a name. Um, and it was one of those, I think, you know, while you're in university, very, uh, have a interesting view on the world. And, and we, we were very against at the time studying tourism against kind of mass tourism and things. Um, and that's how the name came about. And then, um, having worked in, um, in Dubai and in, in you know, in the luxury end, it was always my ambition and, and our ambition to do something far more independent, far more in, it, adventurous into destinations that we, we we really loved. And that's how the Tuk Tuk Adventures began. Okay, so what did you, where did you first start doing those Tuk Tuk Adventures then? If that was one of your first things, did you start those in India or here in Cambodia? So the first the first adventure was was actually in Sri Lanka, um, and we we, we were. We were both there visiting Sri Lanka as, as you know, just a, a normal independent, you know, backpacker almost. And we found ourselves in the back end of, of nowhere on, on, on a mountainside. And Sri Lanka, funnily enough, has one of the highest density per capita of, of, of tuk-tuks in the world. Um, they've got over a million tuk-tuks, um, three-wheelers, as they're also referred to there. And we, we managed to, to persuade a local chap to borrow his, to borrow his for a couple of days. Um, head off into some of the forests and hills around where we were, and and that's really where it was. It was really born. It was it was the, the love of of the tuk tuk almost at first sight, and 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 yeah, that's where the the idea of of the tuk tuk rally began. That's great. Well, we're going to talk more about those rallies or challenges, as you call them, specifically. And you've just told us that, that pretty cool first exposure to a tuk tuk. Why do you? What What does a tuk tuk mean to you when you're a traveler and you're out and you see one? Like, what kind of meaning or purpose does it have to you? For me, the the, the tuk tuk really it, it, it just adventure comes to mind instantly in the tuk tuk, and then and then and then also just the resourcefulness of the vehicle. I mean, I. 
I've always had associated it with my first experience what was in Southeast Asia or, or, or South Asia in Sri Lanka. But obviously, I'm sure your listeners will know, and of course, you two who, who, who live in Asia know very well that, that tuk-tuks are now um, almost everywhere. And for me, it just means that there's so many attributes to it. There's so many different functions to it from like a little family utility vehicle to uh you know to taxis to transport to local business that that's what i really love about it the the, vers- the versatility of it um how it can be used for 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 all sorts um and yeah i mean for me every, every little adventure there can start can start in a, in a tuk-tuk in a vehicle like that you know we talked a little bit in the intro about all the different styles of tuk-tuk and all the different uses therefore and how they are incredibly practical for local people as well but what do you think the allure for tourists is to the tuk-tuk like what, where do you think this intersection comes between this vehicle and and the tourism experience in these countries my view is that that it's a great balance between between a, obviously a car and a, and a motorbike and and it really strikes that that balance wonderfully because it, it's it's got open sides it's um, it's secure enough that it has obviously a body around it um, so you feel a little bit less exposed than than a motorbike it's slow enough that that you're possibly not quite as dangerous um, just because of the speeds you're traveling. Um, and because of that speed, it just opens you up to, you know, t- to the local, t- to the smells, the sights that um, at, at that pace that just is a little bit different to everything else, especially if you compare it to, you know, driving a car where you're you're a little bit shut off, a little bit secluded from from everything if you're going from A to B. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to to stop everywhere. And generally, the locals just give it a um, a huge amount of uh, respect and surprise when, when you when you when you pull up in one. Um, and it's, so it's a great platform for that. Very cool. Well, we talked in the intro, as Trevor mentioned, about some of the countries there are tuk-tuks. And of course, they go by different names. So I'm wondering, can you share with us a few versions of the tuk-tuk that you really like for various reasons that you've experienced around the world? Yes, yeah, some are based on on crazy adventures. I mean, initially, when we, we first started in, in Cambodia, uh, or when I, when I was first visiting Cambodia, and I know that you've been there for a long time, but um, or Trevor has been there for a long time, but we used the the auto remorque it was called the auto remorque and i believe that those those started initially from uh, an offset of, of when um i think the french were in cambodia and and used to have the traditional cyclo um mm. so the auto remorque is one name uh, that then changed to the tuk-tuk which everybody knows or, or knew in in cambodia as the tuk-tuk slightly different format to what I had known a tuk-tuk to be, which is the the, the rickshaw, the traditional rickshaw, um, auto rickshaw, you know, as they're known in India, which is the the three wheel the three wheel machine that that we use a lot on a lot of our adventures, and I believe now there are a lot more in Cambodia as well, and that's the format that that we see really kind of exploding in in South America, um, in Africa, and in a lot of other Asian cities is is that that auto rickshaw in Sri Lanka they call three wheelers tuk-tuks as well so yeah it's a variation of that of that same of that same vehicle okay so then for do you use different tuk-tuks on the different tuk-tuk challenges in the different countries for the most part we use the same the same vehicle the auto rickshaw three-wheeler that you'll see in most of india they're made in india one of the brands that's most familiar and and probably the biggest market share in in the world is the bajaj Um, they produce something like eighty thousand tuk-tuks a month a lot of those get exported um so it's that vehicle that we use predominantly 
Um, we used to use the old auto remorks in in Cambodia, but I have to say that was those were some very interesting times. Just the, the functionality of that vehicle, um, it made it it made it real real tough to drive. Yeah, we have the Indian tuk tuks here in Cambodia now, which is what people call those tuk tuks, and they they I mean the remok is what a remok is, but now people definitely differentiate between a tuk tuk and a remok here. So where you said you did the first tuk-tuk challenge in Sri Lanka, was that uh, a, a very well-planned or trip? Or did you sort of just stitch something together and be like, ah, this is going to be our tuk-tuk adventure? Or, or a better way to phrase it, it, are you still offering a pretty much same Sri Lankan tuk-tuk experience that you did then? Or has that evolved over the years? Yeah, gr- really f- interesting question because it, it certainly has involved, evolved a lot. And, and back to your original question of how, you know, how it was such a big jump from, from working, you know, corporate, corporate luxury events in Dubai and things that thankfully did allow us to, to organize a relatively, I say well organized, a, a, a reasonable, reasonably organized event. However, the format was, was very different to what it is now. I say very different. It was initially a race. Um, and if you can imagine a, a large, a large bunch of, friends and participants joining for an ad- adventure race in a tuk-tuk that wasn't the most in hindsight the most sensible thing but it was extremely adventurous but if you can imagine i mean at that time it was it was 70 people descending on on sri lanka just after the the, the, the civil war had finished in sri lanka in 2009 um, there was a lot of really a lot of positive energy about tourism opening up further um, because obviously Sri Lanka has just been an amazing destination forever, but since 2009, it really has seen extreme, you know, an extreme rise in, in popularity. Um, and we were at the beginning of that, so if you can imagine 60 people from around the world um, descending to do a tuk-tuk race, um, it was yeah, it was a little bit chaotic to, to say the least, but but at, you know, amazing. And the support that we had, yeah, just made for one one epic adventure. Um, the format, like I said, is now no longer a race for obvious reasons, um, but it's it's more of just an, a, an overall experience where the, the tuk-tuk is the platform um, and you're independent in the days and then and then you really can share stories in the evenings with, 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 your, with your other adventurers and, and participants. So, Julian, I, I understand I think you're running these in about six different countries on a couple of continents. Um, for people that are really unfamiliar with these tuk-tuk challenges, can you give us kind of a, a walkthrough and overview of what a tuk-tuk challenge is and what it implies and entails for participants. Yeah, sure, absolutely. The the in in short, it's um, a format that's normally between a week and ten days. Um, so we and we use a tuk-tuk as a platform for an adventure. Um, so the the journey would normally begin with with um, either friends or a couple or you know a group of friends signing up for this adventure. We would then provide them with with a with a tuk-tuk. A fully functioning, beautiful little running tuk-tuk um, that will then be their home for the pretty much the next ten days um, in whichever destination they are. The tuk-tuk becomes the platform for the adventure, and and then we just set a very loose day by day format, um, so leg by leg, where there's a start point and there's a finish point, usually between 100 and 150 kilometers per day, and then in in those days, people can get as lost as they like and have the best adventure in in that week on top of that there's there's a great support network that we provide just so there's a little bit of comfort in the knowledge that if you do really get lost or if you do really get into an uncomfortable situation by breaking down or 
you know, God forbid, in an accident. There, there's a support network that we provide in the form of uh, a team of backup mechanics. We have medical support, and we have you know backup vehicles that sit very much in the in the background, almost invisible unless it's required. That, that's the format. We we do throw in a few a few challenges um, where where teams can choose to participate against each other. And these challenges are normally in the form of culinary-based challenges, culturally cultural-based challenges, where it just adds a secondary element to the event where um, it, it, it's driven to encourage people to, to get involved in the destination, to learn more about the, the history, the culture, the people, the language. Adding an element of competition to to anybody is is you know it, it's it's fuel to the to the fire and it just makes that that extra bit of excitement in the event. Okay, yeah, because you know I if people go to the website and if you go to our show notes, we'll have links to everything we talk about here. Your website, all of these challenges. It looks like you know the sh- the trips are about seven to ten days, maybe, and about a hundred kilometers of driving per day. And I'm thinking that like people have to get lost. I mean, especially if you're in a country like India or something, like how can, how can, can you really adequately prepare people to drive a tuk-tuk in, in a place like India? Like are people really prepared on that first day or do sometimes you have some difficulty getting some couples even started? I mean, the short answer to that is, I suppose, yeah, uh, I suppose, yes, it, there, there is always difficulties with, with, with some people, but I, a lot of people are, well, I, I like to say prepared, but, you know, having spoken to, you know, lots and lots of teams, mm-hmm. Some of them don't even get the chance to think about the adventure uh, until they land. So, yeah, it, it, it can be challenging. But, you know, driving these things, it is it it is like a great question because it's a valid point that, that people always, I think, perceive it as, as a quite a difficult thing to, to master driving. And to master it, it, it is maybe. But to learn to drive these things, it's not it's not very difficult. And, well, there's, um, well, there's sort of, sorry to interrupt, but there's sort of two factors here. There's how to drive a tuk-tuk and then there's how to drive in India. So like how to drive a tuk-tuk in India is like a totally different uh, thing altogether. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I think, so the answer to that question is no, you can never really be prepared <laughs> um, for, for driving in, in India and, and in some of those destinations. I mean, uh, and they do yeah, get lost instantly the moment they drive off the start. Yeah, but I guess I imagine you give everybody SIM cards and everything so that if people do get in an accident or get lost or whatever, because I read on your website that they, there's a support vehicle with the luggage. So like you're in your tuk-tuk with your friends and maybe you get lost, like you don't even have like your your bags or anything, you know, so they have to be able to get in touch with you, which I assume that you, you've taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. We we, we we give them the platform for sure. So so there's um, we give them phones, a welcome bag, um a emergency contact list and and things so in case that they do get in some real trouble that they that we're only a phone call away um and and, and we can come and find them and come and help them out um and also that you know the, the destination is normally like i said 100 150 kilometers away um and there are only so many you know routes to get to get mm. there but uh, as for getting lost <laughs> yeah all the time. So without sounding like a concerned parent, Julian, because I'm actually not a, a worry freak, I am a practical person. Um, what kind of experience or skills do people have to have to take this on practically? Like, do they have to have a, a motorcycle operator's license or a car license? I mean, if they've never even been outside of the UK, is this something they should be doing? What makes a successful tuk-tuk uh, race participant? Basically, all they need is is a, a driving license. Um, it, it's in in all the destinations that w- that we work in. Um, it, it's it's an international driving permit um, is required, 
uh, which is our, our participants are, are spread quite evenly from the UK, Australia, New Zealand, America, uh, and then Europe. And th- you just require an international driving permit, really, that that will allow you to drive the vehicle. And then the rest is, yeah, a, a, sense, of, <laughs> a sense of adventure and, and, and you're in. Okay, how about, uh, you know, you've, you've done these in a number of countries. Uh, do you still travel to do quality control? Do you still participate in any of the adventures? And if so, what, what are some of your favorite ones to, to go on and join and why? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still very much hands-on in the business. We, 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 we're quite a small business, um, so I go on 90% of them myself. Um, leading the trip, very hands-on in in um, in teaching participants how to how to drive or, or showing them how to drive the, the tuk-tuks, doing briefings at the the real like local elements of the trips, what to expect on the roads. But of course, with a huge support network of of the guys, you know, the most important guys on the trip, the um, the guys in in in, in country and the destinations. Um, I have to say, if, if you push me for a favorite, only because of our story and 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 just the history of it, um, I, I'd probably be pushed to stay Sri Lanka. Thinking about technology, like I imagine now, people can get you know that SIM, that mobile phone. They can see most of the time exactly where they are on Google Maps. Even key in Google to just tell you directions, which in some respects opens up what's possible in my mind, but. I'm also thinking it might turn participants into not being terribly self-reliant and as clever as they maybe could be with just say paper maps and no phone. Have you done them without modern technology? Do you feel that it kind of dumbs people down a bit or, or is it advantageous? Actually, one of the challenges that we set in most of the took, I say most of them only because we've recently done something in Italy, but um, where we, we did allow a modern technology. Technically, you know, in a very loose loose form, um, we ban Google Maps and provide provide teams with 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 paper maps that I have to say are not um, the most accurate. But <laughs> it, it's a platform for. Uh, for them getting to get lost um obviously that you know everyone has their phone in their pocket as an emergency but um we 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 say as part of the challenge to to use um to use only maps and the phones that we give them are those are those classic throwaway um indestructible nokia phones that will last you probably the entire journey with one one charge yeah to answer your question it 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 can take away from the adventure sometimes and we encourage people to to go the old fashioned way stick to the maps and and also just ask the local you know ask the locals if you if you get to a stop and you're lost, um, just you know hang out, ask where the next town is, and and it really is is a great platform to 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 discover. Yeah, I imagine that's got to be a really cool experience uh, when you pull up to some intersection and ask some local people where you're going, and and they see some foreigners driving a tuk tuk. It's probably a really great opportunity for some local interaction. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of the it's one of the stories that is told most. I think when I when I hear that the participants every day who have joined these events, it's it's just the stories of of the local interaction, the excitement that they get from seeing seeing people on these on these things um, on, on the tuk tuks, the the excitement that they that they see that they've chosen to drive a vehicle that's not necessarily a luxury vehicle. I mean, in a lot of places, tuk-tuks really are like the working man's vehicle as well. You know, they're, they're taxi drivers, um, they're little delivery vehicles. So to see, um, to see other people who are visiting the country driving them is, 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 a, is an extra special thing for, for a lot of, a lot of people when they're, when they're, when they're in remote areas, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It, it breaks down, um, and a boundary almost instantly becomes, you know, very, very welcoming. And it's, yeah, the start of 
some of the best stories on, on, on all of the trips. There's a charity component to these challenges from what I see on your website. It says, I believe 10% of trip funds go to support local communities. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. We've, it, it's been one of our founding values of the, the company um, was to make a contribution ourselves directly. So we don't really, we don't position it as a, as a charity event, but we, we just take a percentage of people's direct entry fees and we donate those to um, organizations in the country themselves. So as you could probably guess, the, the amounts are quite small in comparison to, to general, you know, g- large charities operating. And we focus mainly on um, environmental education and, mm. um, well, and the arts really. So, so sports, music in, in, in these destinations. Um, so we, we, we work with a couple of organizations. They're on our website in Sri Lanka. It's Loris's and um, the, the Sri Lankan Red Cross. We basically, they will facilitate what's required in, in certain areas. Um, and we do micro donations um, to, to projects um, that, that, that are required. But otherwise, I was thinking, um, do you generally try to use local small hotels and restaurants like, you know, like mom and pop guest houses and whatnot to stay at? What, what type of accommodation are you stopping at along the way? With, on our trips, it, it's one of it's, it's one of the, the nice surprises for, for, for people. We actually we actually stay in, in, in really we, we have a very big emphasis, obviously, on locally owned hotels. And that and that's a big part of it. Um, yeah. But they're, they're, they're normally between four and five star. So it's hmm. really nice uh, you know i say that it's where where they're where they're possible we go to some remote areas in, in kind of northern cambodia where, where the, the access to some of those hotels is limited but in general we try to pick places that, that really can offer um after a full day on the road um getting lost getting dirty in all sorts of situations to then come back to a really you know pleasant and comfortable um accommodation in the evening um and so it's a really good it's a really fine balance of of that adventure and then and then having a, a you know a nice beer by, by a swimming pool in the evening. You know, particularly thinking about Bangkok, I've seen a reduction in the number of tuk-tuks here and in a few other cities. Do you think the end of the tuk-tuk is near? I was having that conversation with somebody here, funnily enough, in the UK, who's um, who imports imports tuk-tuks from India. The short answer is 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 no i don't think i don't think it is near um i think there'll be a there'll be a change i mean they went from two stroke to four stroke they, they are now you know they are some of the greenest vehicles uh probably greener than your fridge i'm exaggerating a little bit but their emissions are extremely low and they go, i think they're going to go electric i mean they're already there as electric vehicles you know the functionality the utility of them will just move to el- electric um, and we won't see the end of it at all. The ones in Bangkok, I have to say, I'm not. I'm not an expert in 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 the Thai tuk-tuks. I, I I love them. I've been in them. I've driven them. Um, they are they are beasts of machines. They you know they're they're super fast. I, you know everybody I know that's been to Thailand has probably got some sort of tuk-tuk related story. So I don't particularly know in Thailand how how that will will play out, but in certainly in the destin- in in the places in in India, um, there's a huge amount of investment going in 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 um, the electric versions. So I don't I don't think it's the end. Um, I just think they're too they're too functional and too part of the of the culture and 
and the society for them to just disappear. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well about the electric ones. And I mean, here in Cambodia, we're getting more and more tuk-tuks every day, it seems. And, and they're getting bigger as well. And they have nice doors. And they're even made by Piaggio. Yeah. So they're uh, not just made in, well, maybe those are made in India too. I don't know. But uh, yeah, they do keep to getting fancier. I'm just wondering when they're going to get seatbelts. Yeah, funnily enough, the only place that uh, the, the health and safety has really struck is um, is in the UK. That I, I've got one here myself, and and there's a, there's a requirement to have them as seatbelts in the back here. Um, you don't need it as a driver, so that's obviously mm. some weird weird thing that you, I would assume that involved hours of health and safety checks. Um, but you don't need it in the driver's seat, but you need them in the back. Um, going back to your Piaggio thing, yeah, Pia- a lot of Piaggios are, ma- are made in are made in um, in India as well. So huge amount of fancy and different variations of tuk-tuks. What a super cool way to do a trip. You mentioned uh, Rick Gazarian had been on our show oh, a couple of years ago now, and then recently about Afghanistan. But I've watched uh, Hit the Road India and Cambodia, and I mean, it intrigued me, even though, say, I know Cambodia well, it struck me as a kind of trip I'd like to do. So I think it's really neat when people do innovative ways to travel. So hats off to you, Julian, and your team uh, at uh, with, with this, these things. And uh, you can learn more by going to Large Menor travel backslash and we have that on our show notes too so thanks a ton for sharing with us julian my pleasure thank you very much uh for for joining yeah i'd be love to i'd love to have you guys um in a tuk-tuk with us so anytime hey scott that was great having julian on and talking about those adventures i went to their website and at large minority.travel and checked out some of their itineraries and it looks like a really cool experience um, especially just because I love to travel by tuk-tuk, but getting to, to drive them as well with some of your friends and have little challenges along the way. It just looks like like a, almost a guaranteed awesome holiday experience. Yes, very, very innovative. And from having a background in innovative tourism, I love that these guys have looked at a different way to shape the journey. Even places like Cambodia, where I've been extensively and you have been, still seems like a super fun trip. So, you know, somewhere like Sri Lanka or even Pakistan would be high up on my list. I mean, the coordination for them to put this together, A, to even just get enough reliable machines, because... I mean, there must be breakdowns and technicals. I don't think these things are built for, you know, 150 kilometer per day and thousand kilometers all up, but, uh, It'd be a hell of a journey. I, I think it'd be fun. I hope we can do one someday. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like they got it pretty dialed in. I guess they've been doing this for a while and they've been going around to a lot of different countries. But again, like I said, when we were talking to them, it's got to just be a crazy experience for people just to drive in Asia for the first time. I mean, you and I have been living here like 20 years and I drive it sometimes in the cities and sometimes in the countryside. And and that in itself is, is a whole new experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and even here in Bangkok, I drive a little motorcycle every day. But if you were to say, hey, just drive a, a tuk-tuk, that's a bit <laughs> of a different ball of wax. So I do like when you're talking about India, how you sort of said like, okay, you drive a tuk-tuk and you got to drive in India. Like you put two unfamiliar things together. I don't know if it's the risk or the excitement factor to me goes up by, you know, a factor of, of 10 or more, right? When you just mm. put those two, it's kind of an exponential form. So yeah, it'd be pretty nutty, nutty way to travel. Where would you do one if you could do one of theirs anywhere? You know, I, 
again, I think Sri Lanka would probably be great um, just because I, I want to go to Sri Lanka. It's got beautiful coasts, uh, really fascinating history, beautiful countryside. And like you said, that's they do have the most tuk-tuks there. And for some reason, I have this feeling that it's it's a little less crazy. The roads there might not be as uh, mental. So that that might be the, the most fun place to, to try it out. But I mean... In 2021, it, when they come to Cambodia, I'll join him here if I can. Um, so that's the most likely one. But if I could, I'll, I'd try to join the Sri Lanka one. How about I'll you? do either of those places with you. I've been to Sri Lanka, but I would love to do a different area of the country on one. And uh, maybe next year in Cambodia, that'd be great. Uh, before we leave this thing, remember, Trevor and I pay for all this out of our own pockets. Please lend some financial support to help things keep going. Just go to patreon.com search Talk Travel Asia. You can help sponsor the show from as little as a dollar a month upwards. So please, if you're listening, if you enjoy it, show us some financial love. Uh, Trevor, why don't you tell them about the show notes and take us out of this thing? Yeah, as always, if you go to www.talktravelasia.com, uh, we do spend quite a bit of time on our show notes and we'll have links to Large Minority website, their YouTube channel, a bunch of facts about Tuk Tuk, some Google Maps, uh, and uh, how you can donate to the show. So go to the website, talktravelasia.com, check it out. Uh, give us some financial love if you can. Um, and then come back in two weeks uh, when we have another episode. So thanks for joining me again, Scott. And thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 